What's going on, y'all? How y'all doing? Welcome back to the 1025 Podcast. This is episode six. I'm Jordan, along with Ashanti and Kristen. And in this episode, Kristen is our moderator. So, Kristen, we have a lot to talk about today. Kristen, take it away. All right. Today, we're talking about theologies and why we criminalize them. And the first one that piqued my interest in this topic was Galileo. He was arrested for believing the earth was round. And then Nelson Mandela was arrested as well in 1962 for resisting apartheid and protesting. And I honestly just wanted to know why do we do this? Your thoughts? Yeah, well, personally, I believe like we use theologies in a political way. So we basically politicize it. And because of this, that creates a lot of fear mongering it. So out of self-interest, people create this fear in order to get like certain laws pushed or like to erase certain people, like with the whole Nelson Mandela thing. And even if we're talking about conspiracy theories during the civil rights movement, some people believe that the federal government killed Martin Luther King because the black boys had so much of an uprising during the 20th century. Right. So it's definitely fear-mongering. We use theologies to create fear-mongering. We can even say that after the 9-11 attacks, there was so much fear that we passed the law that basically was prejudiced towards people that practiced um, that were Muslim. And it's all fear-mongering for me. That's why we criminalize it the way we do. It's for self-interest and politics. Yeah, I agree a lot with what Ashanti was saying. It is very fear That tactic is fear-mongering because even when someone has a very powerful voice, such as Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, mm-hmm. uh, Tuna I remember I was reading when uh, Billy Holiday sung Strange Fruit, like at the whole, the federal government and all of that was trying to kill her, and they pretty much did because of the fact that that song was so powerful, and they literally tried to ruin her career for it. Even now, with I remember during the George Floyd protests, mm-hmm. uh, actors Kiki Palmer and John Boyega, they spoke out about that stuff and they were even like on the front lines protesting. And then like, a few weeks later, like Keith Palmer's show with like um, Michael Strahan got canceled and then John Boyega, he's not really picking up any more roles in Hollywood now. So it's very, I feel like it's very planned out to fear, to be like their voices aren't important at all so that we can all keep our jobs and get paid even though the stuff that we're doing is wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, I like the point that you made with Galileo, especially whenever you have a prime voice dissenting against the government or just the majority in general, you want to knock that person down because it creates a right. It creates ultimately what is a threat. Right. You know? And the most important thing when we're practicing a democracy, I'm talking about in America with theologists, we have to have a diversity of opinion and a diversity of like the types of things that we're, you know, um, incorporating within our government and within like just American culture in general. That's what I feel like creates the most equal laws. That's what I feel like creates the most safe spaces. We have to recognize that while people's opinions might differ, we can't just erase these voices, even the ones that I'm not proponent, even the voices that I'm not a proponent for. Right. I mean, I'm going to out against it, but you can't just erase people's voices. That's just undemocratic. Exactly. Exactly. And even um, going back to Nelson Mandela, I remember one of his most famous quotes, like, education is the most powerful weapon, you know, out there. So if you educate your people that the stuff that's happening is wrong, you are considered powerful and everyone else mm-hmm. is considered, like, the ones who, like, oppress you, you know, the oppressors, they, they're going to 
view you as a threat, so they're going to do everything in their power to kind of bring you down, you know? And they freed him 27 years later, but that was not enough, really, to make up for the fact that they jailed him just for having an opinion yeah. on apartheid being wrong. And it's kind of um, reflective of what's going on in America, even though this takes place in Africa, you know, the homeland to pretty much all of our ancestors. I feel like this is a reflection of our now. You know, a lot of people have been jailed just because of their opinion, like the abuse of freedom of speech, the First Amendment. And it's, it's crazy. It's a cruel you know, and sad world that we live in. All right, and now we're going to talk about Tory Lanez. All right, let's get it. All right, Jordan. All right. I know you the album, so. Okay, okay, so I literally spent the entire night, stayed up the entire night listening to this album, Daystar, because originally I thought he was going to be on Instagram Live doing, like, explaining what he did, right? So I'm re, you know, freshing everything. So, you know, I can see he's on lock. It says that he's on album. I'm sorry, real quick. Somebody's texting me. Okay. Sorry about that. And many people, when he announced this album, the surprise album, like everybody was like, Nick, like, I'm sorry. Are you for real? Like, what's going on? So I listened to it. And I got to say, production-wise, the album's good production-wise, sonically, what you hear, the production is good. Now, each album, he does, I mean, each song, he does explain himself. This person will stop texting me. My fault, y'all. Hold up. Jordan, so unprofessional. Shut up. <laughs> so, literally, each track of the song, he explains a certain aspect of his relationship with Magnus Stallion. I remember in the opening track, Money Over Fallouts, it literally opens up with every news outlet talking about this dude. Like, I heard Maul from the Joe Budden podcast talk about he's a sucker and all that. I heard Charlemagne the God say, you know, this dude, he's donkey of the day, basically. And then we actually get to hearing this person sing, right? Well, Tory Lanez, you know, sing. And I'm not going to lie. Some of the um, lines in this um song it kind of did make me mad like one song where it, well the one line where it says megan's people trying to frame me for a shooting but them boys ain't clean i see how they teaming up watching and i'm calculating gotta keep it quiet i can't justify the outcome waiting when i hear that the outcome is already out there like this mm -hmm. career is pretty much in the dumpster to be honest with you and everybody's compared this entire situation to, you know, the Chris Brown and Rihanna situation. But the thing is, with Chris Brown and Rihanna, not only was Chris Brown extremely young, I think he was about, like, still a teenager, per se, or, like, early 20s. And Tory Lanez is a grown-ass man. He's, like, 28 years old. But Chris Brown was accountable of what he did. He literally, even yeah. still to this day, he still kind of beats himself up for that situation. With Tori, it feels like you're taking this very uh, traumatizing situation and you're trying to clout chase off it. And I, before we even start this episode, it literally says his surprise album reached number one on Apple Music charts. So I'm literally thinking to myself, this was like a good PR move, basically. Like, okay, 
He got this whole ass album out. I'm sorry for cursing. I'm so sorry. But I'm kind of rubbed up. He got this whole album coming out, right? Mm-hmm. Now independent. He owns all his masters. And we'll get to that in like in a few seconds, right? So his PR is saying, okay, let's drop this so that people would think you're going on Instagram Live. But in reality, you're literally just trying to clout chase this entire situation. And it literally reminded me of, and I told you guys about it, the August Alcina, Jada Pinkett situation where this dude literally went on a whole press run talking about uh, he was you know, in an entanglement with Jada Pinkett Smith only to drop a, a trash album, first of all, and then a single with Rick Ross titled Entanglement. Like, you basically just ruined this person's marriage just so you can get some album sales. Like, are you stupid? What are y'all Because yeah. I'm, I'm really going on a rant right now. Yeah, I think a lot of good. Oh, I think a lot of artists actually profit off of other people's pain because I think even when the R. Kelly incident happened, I think he got a whole lot of album sales off of that. Yeah, exactly. That's to go through his whole discography and just dissect it. Yeah, and a lot of people bring up the idea that you have to separate the art from the artist. I mean, we've heard this example with many people from like Chris Brown, of course, Sue R. Kelly, Kanye West, many people. And I'm just thinking to myself, and of course, art reflects reality. So if your art is reflecting the same thing that you're, that reflects the world that you live in, like with R. Kelly, he had like some sex cult or whatever. It's like, Dude, you need help. And then speaking on his masters, right? He basically, Tori's basically saying in the track, sorry, but I had to. When Michael Jackson and Prince got their masters back, what happened, right? So, like, when Michael got his masters back, he passed away. When Prince got his masters back, I think, well, of course, he passed away. RIP to both of them. But then he felt like he was a slave to his contract. So, a lot of people feel like the whole industry is literally blackballing this dude just because he owns his masters. No, dude, that's not the case. You're you're being blackballed because you caused a woman to be in pain. Literally, you're profiting off of it. I like when Ashanti said, like, earlier when we were talking, briefing for this episode, black women's pain, which is so crazy because this literally came out, I think, a few days after the Breonna Taylor uh, decision. Mm -hmm. So it's literally like this entire... A week has been just nothing but profiting off of black women's pain and no justice being given to the innocent lives that have been taken. It's not just yeah. black women, just everybody, I mean, of course, black women, but everybody else has been affected from George Floyd to Maude Aubrey, you know, uh, Tamir Rice, all of them, Jacob Blake, all of them. I'm, yeah. sorry. I'm sorry if I'm wild right now. No, you're fine. But one thing I wanted to talk about is like beyond the artistry of everything, we have to talk about how they try and push black women to be like down for struggle love and down for men that are just do and justifiable things. That is wrong. On the onset of this whole investigation, on the onset of what initially happened, people were just like, oh, dog, Megan's gonna tell. Megan's gonna tell the truth. She's about to do this man wrong. It probably wasn't even that deep. It probably wasn't even that serious. But if this were any other woman that did not look like Megan Thee Stallion and did not have our brown skin, that would not be expected. And I understand that the 
conditions that black people are under, you don't want to send someone that looks like you to a facility where you know that they could possibly be put in danger. But also at the same time, I'm not going to sacrifice my own identity and my own, you know, safety for someone that's just done me wrong. I think the black community is wrong for doing that to Megan Thee Stallion. And I think we have to take, put things in the perspective of it not just being about an artist, but we have to think about the entire black diaspora. When right. we think, you know what I'm saying? It just in general, black women are expected to be down for black men. And that just irritated me when I saw that after what happened, you know? And then every, just the microaggressions on Twitter, the shoot a bitch summer thing, that was just disrespectful. I don't even want to talk about that. But just seeing how we engage in pop culture and the things we pull away is disgusting. It it's is. disgusting it of ourselves. Yeah, and piggy, piggybacking off of what you're saying, Ashanti, like a whole lot of people were literally flaming her. They were flaming not only Megan Thee Stallion, they were flaming Tory Lanez because he was short mm -hmm. and all that. In one of the songs, he's saying, oh, they're saying I'm 5'3", I'm 5'7". I'm 5'7". Dude, you you literally like the size of my mom. Like, for real. And many other people, like 50 Cent was posting, I'm sure y'all saw that meme where it was like, they photoshopped uh, Megan and Tori's head on the characters from Boys in the Hood. The Ricky scene that everybody knows. I'm just saying to myself, First of all, you a grown ass man and you trying to have a, like trying to joke off of pain. And this is gonna be the same person who went on Lil Wayne's uh, Young Money radio episode talking about black women ain't it exotic. And I'm just thinking to myself, are you stupid? And then Lil Wayne's gremlin looking ass was like laughing and shit. I'm just like, what is wrong with y'all? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely made turn this into a juvenile situation. It became a, sort of a comedy um, coronavirus relief for a lot of people. But I think it reflects a lot of the issues that we face. Immediately, we saw Megan become terrorized because people fear that she, Tori Langless, is going to ultimately be incarcerated for shooting her in the damn foot. No one, a lot of people didn't want that to happen. But at the same time, I'm not going to sacrifice my safety and well being for someone that puts me in danger repeatedly. That's just not, that's not right. I don't know why we expect any black woman to do that. I don't know why we expected Megan Thee Stallion to do that. And it just goes into the black community needs to practice intersectionality a bit more. We need to understand that the intersections people exist that affect them on a day-to-day -day basis. Megan Thee Stallion has become a sort of like, I don't wanna say a sex symbol, but she has become this dominant figure in popular culture. And just knowing that even with her having money, of a certain status, she is still put in danger. We are still going to be put in danger because of the intersections we exist at. This happens yeah. on any class level. And that's, I'm getting tired of it. And I, I understand, I understand. And even the thing with this album, when I first, cause I, I listened to it twice, right? Before I met up with y'all. The thing that this album really tried to do, it tried to be like a wannabe 444 from uh, Jay-Z. And the thing is with four, the thing that made 444 great was that Jay-Z took himself, this very dominant figure, arguably one of the best rappers of all time, and he literally humanized himself. He literally revisited the young boy growing up in Marcy, you know, selling crack to survive, to becoming the first hip hop billionaire, marrying arguably the most beautiful woman in the music industry. But then, this was during a time when people were kind of 
hating on him because of that allegation that, oh, he cheated on Beyonce, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Even the first, the first line you hear is, I apologize. He owns up. He actually mans up and is like, yeah, I messed up and I apologize. With Tori, he tries to be so braggadocious with, yeah, I got, I got all these pretty ladies with me and all that. And then he tries to, in one song, he actually explains, he basically reveals that they were dating. Him and Meg were dating, right? And I'm saying to myself, do you really, do you think she's going to hear this and be like, man, I remember the memories we had, I had with Tori, you know what I'm saying? We used to, we used to hang, hanging out in Miami. We was at the pool and Kylie Jenner's party and all that. No, she's done with you. She's done with you. And even another rumor that was, I think, uh, DJ Academics talked about this on his show, right? He was basically saying that he thinks that Megan was jealous of Tori because he was kind of hitting on Kylie Jenner and all that. And I'm just thinking to myself, dude, Kylie Jenner is married to Travis Scott, a way bigger artist than Tory Lanez is. And plus, Kylie's a billionaire. This nigga's net worth is like, what, two million? That's like... Like, he basically like a little boy to her. And then another rumor was that uh, Tory Lanez was sleeping with Meg's friend. And I'm just thinking to myself, if he did that, he he a scrub anyway. I mean, he looked like a scrub-ass dude anyway. But it's just like, forget all these rumors and stuff. That doesn't justify the fact that he pulled out a gun and shot her. Now, he says that he didn't actually do it. He basically, because he basically, there is one line where he's like, how did I shoot you in the foot? when bullets didn't break your bone and tendons and stuff, because we all know, you know, your feet have the most bones. I'm thinking to myself, okay, did the bullet, like, hit the ground and it grazed her or something like that? But anyway, it's, you would... got a gun on her in such an enclosed area, in such an enclosed area, no. That's fucked up. I'm so sorry. Yeah. But honestly, none of it justifies its actions. He shot someone and he's still not taking accountability. He keeps talking about what happened beforehand. No one cares about that. Because regardless, you still shot her. And you still never took accountability for your actions. Yeah. And on top of that, you're just making things worse. Because you put out an album right after she got on the Time magazine cover. I just realized that. I just realized that. And... Even because he keeps saying, oh, the industry's trying to blackball me. I'm a successful black man. I own my masters and all that. You know, Michael Jackson and Prince, they own their masters. Look what happened. Doesn't Kanye also own his masters? No, Kanye doesn't own his masters yet. He's trying to fight. He's having like a dispute with his label about owning his masters because they not. His discography is very profitable. Tory Lanez, it's like, you can keep that mess. You can hear it happen. But it's just like people cared more about Michael Jackson and Prince because, one, they were beloved figures in music. You're not really that beloved. Even though during quarantine, you were the man when it came to, like, entertainment, when it came to quarantine radio and stuff. But I, I feel like 10, 20, 30 years down the line, a lot of people are going to be thinking about this dude, Tory Lanez. Of course, we're going to think about, like, Chris Brown and Drake and, you know, uh, um, I would say, like, Omarion and all of them. But we're not going to be really thinking about this dude. Like, he, The weekend, you know, he's not 
he's not on that like top tier stage when it comes to artists from Toronto. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. I, I personally don't. Yeah. That was my little so. Yeah, but overall, we have to stop protecting malicious men because that's not doing anything for anybody's civil rights. Megan had the right to um, say what happened, and we shouldn't have attacked her for it. And we have to, and the reason for this is because a lot of people protect malicious men for self-identity and, you know, to be in legion with their community. Because like I said before, you don't want to put someone that looks like you in harm's way. But at the same time, don't put yourself in harm's way for someone else's self-interest. Do not do that. That's wrong. Guys, your whole future for some asshole, like for real. And and, and you should get rid of malicious people. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's malicious people for real. Because I feel like if it was, and this is just me, if it was like, let's say, an artist like shit, who's a let's say Robin Thicke did this, people would just been like, because I don't know, white privilege, all that. I don't know. Like my mind is like flaming right now it's like okay nobody really cares move on tori it's like okay we pushing the black men ain't shit narrative we pushing the protect all protect black women narrative which of course we have to because they they are important as well at a very compromising time yeah he just he proved himself right he proved himself right I mean, well, wrong or right, he just literally proved the basic facts that we're pushing. I mean, statistically speaking, we can talk about these celebrities and the things that they engage, but statistically speaking, in our own communities, who is, like, seriously, we, we have to stop. We yeah. have to stop. We got to. Yeah. And we, we got a lot improving to do. Like, these, the narratives that we're, like, we had this conversation before, mm-hmm. these generalized narratives that we're pushing on Twitter and all these other platforms, there is a form of systematic oppression that lends itself to what is happening. Historically, we have to look at these things in retrospect. We have to look at retrospect. The wealth Black Family Union has always been targeted by white supremacy, but within our own communities, we are going to be our downfall. We are the demise of ourselves because we don't protect Black women's opinions. Why would we Megan the Stallion try to tell the truth? Yeah. Yeah, but overall, people have asked the question, is his career over? I can't really answer that because there's still artists like Chris Brown walking around, beat up Rihanna, and has had multiple controversy cases over the years. Kanye West, arguably one of the most influential artists of all time. R. Kelly is still kicking, even though he's in jail, and I think somebody beat him up for it, which is good. Um, I heard that Trey Song's got like a rape allegation going on. Yeah, it's it's oh good. So we we don't know. Maybe next, probably like two to three years from now, he'll come back and just be like, and his fans will be like, hey, whatever. We got some new music or whatever. That's that's just my thoughts. Excuse me. Yeah, but this, the whole incident came at a compromising time, especially with like the Black Lives Matter protests and us mm-hmm. trying to be proponents for marginalized voices, specifically Black women's. It just came at the wrong time, and I'm glad people were outraged by it because it allows us to think about what's happening within our own homes and yeah. who are denying access to the truth. Who are, we, who are we denying access to having their own opinion? We have to stop trying to protect these family identities and these, yeah. these parts 
identities of the black woman and black man or any woman and man quite frankly i mean such allegations in the me too movement we've consistently pushed aside their voices and just been like this is a man of status why would he have done this it's just not making sense blah 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 yeah. fuck that Ask no harvey weinstein and bill cosby yeah oh. yeah yeah like over yeah that I mean, their her story matters our story matters definitely all right any more thoughts oh we just aired everything out all right so our next topic is ruth bader ginsburg and how her passing affects the supreme court okay Oh, Ruth Bader. Oh, were you about to say, Jordan? Oh, I was. I was about to say you. You know, um, told me a lot about this person. So, mm-hmm. do you think you can educate me and Kristen a little bit more about this person? Because, like, I honestly don't really know that much about her. Yeah. Yeah, she was. She, of course, is a lifelong proponent for women's rights, mm-hmm. but especially seventies, with her being in union with the ACLU, she definitely um, dissented against. Um, sex-based legislation, which is basically on the basis that bi- women are biologically different from men and therefore shouldn't have shouldn't have access to like the same things in regards to like welfare or, um, you know, um, estates, um, like values and certain assets or, you know, and taking care of your own children. So um, in teaming up with the ACLU, she just pushed for more um, um, constitutional legislation. She, it was basically on the basis of equal rights for everybody. Women shouldn't be treated different than men and legislation. And of course, um, her work during the 70s and 80s, which is what led her to being appointed to the Supreme Court during Bill Clinton's um, term in office. And she's ultimately just been a really powerful figure um, in women's rights from the 70s up until her death. And she's very important. That's good. You know, it it shows that this woman has done so much over the years for women's rights as there have been many people who um you know fought for that like susan b anthony i believe that's her name she fought for it of course many other people you know but it's just you know great great that a person like her was able to have such an impact on the world even though she is no longer here with us anymore and i and on a quick little side note I remember Donald Trump and his uh, wife had was like standing next to her casket and many people were booing him. So I was just like, that kind of brought a smile to my face. But then it was just like, it's kind of disrespectful because Ruth Bader Ginsburg is now dead, basically. Oh, yeah. They well, were- Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't really like Donald Trump. She yeah. actually had a lot of opinions about him, especially her last dying wish was that she didn't get replaced until after there was a new president and so yeah yeah and now her hopefully since if we all vote for bill i mean i was about to say bill clinton (laughs) (laughs) then a will be good but yeah Yeah. that probably put a smile on her face though the fact that you know he was being booed and stuff yeah and he's actually trying to replace her in the Supreme Court, and Biden is fighting against it because he said that if Trump, I'm paraphrasing this by the way, he basically said that if Trump picks on someone, his vote should be seen. But if Biden wins, then yes. he wants anyone that Trump picked to step down. Basically, down. Yeah, because 
life being, of course, you guys know being a Supreme Court justice is a lifelong appointment. And since they decide whether cases or certain legislator is constitutional, people might put certain, um, people might put people on the bench out of self-interest. They put these judges on the self-interest. So it isn't fair to the American people to have a whole bunch of people like um, voting for policies that are out of self-interest or of the interest of the president. It's supposed to be pretty new and it's supposed to be constitutional. So that's why people are definitely against Donald Trump putting um, another Supreme Court justice up during his term in office. Yeah. Pretty scared. It's a lifelong appointment. Yeah. Office. There is no controlling vote because it's an unequal. I mean, no, it's an equal amount of Supreme Court justice at the moment. Yeah. And then my final thoughts on this is just like they're dedicating their whole lives to trying to, I don't want to say reshape America, but trying to, um, you know, deliver these people their future, you know. Their few, a lot of people's futures are in these judges' like hand, basically. I mean, of course, federal and all that. And yeah, we got ten minutes left on the clock, which is like exceeding a ten-minute thing. We got like ten minutes left. Y'all wanna go on? Move on to the fucking final topic. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. All right. Our next topic is actually about TikTok and the future of it now since it's not banned. Honestly, when it com- when it comes to a lot of apps, TikTok really reminds me of uh, Vine when it first was blowing up that little video sharing thing where you spent like seven second videos and stuff because it got so it got so popular that it now takes over pop culture now. Like I remember I was on Instagram and the person literally had um, money trees from Kendrick Lamar's song. And they were dancing to that. And then I went to the comments and me people were making jokes about, oh my God, it's the song from TikTok. And I'm just thinking to myself, first of all, no, it's a great song from Good Kid Mad City. Yeah. No. And, and it just gets so annoying. Dances just get so annoying to me. Stop. Even Danielle Downs, they were over saying, oh, if you haven't heard from TikTok, you're on two French fan. I heard that in French class in middle school, so. That's funny. Yeah, I think that it's definitely a distracting and a very annoying app. It's really, it's really kidsy. And I understand like the fun aspect of it because you can like make your own dances and possibly become like a sensation overnight. But I think, you know, of course, there's going to be another app that comes after it. There's always people trying to create like innovative and like apps that just get catch our attention, obviously. But I think even if it didn't get banned, TikTok's just going to die out anyways. I feel like it is going to die out. I feel like Trump saying he was going to ban the app actually made it less popular because everyone was expecting the app to be deleted anyways. So everyone already started switching to other apps. Just yeah. like when Vine had announced that it was ending, people switched to other apps. Uh, yeah. It was going to like Instagram and making the videos and little skits and yeah, and that got annoying too. And it was crazy. Do any of you guys have TikTok? No, no, Jordan. I mean, I I have the app, but it's just to look at some of these idiots do stupid stuff. I've never in my life made a TikTok because one, I can't dance, and two, if I did that, both of y'all would flame me for it. 
Do it. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to get fame for that. That's not just crazy. Just, uh, yeah. just imagine like you were in class with someone who actually had a TikTok and was like TikTok famous and he'd be doing like all the stupid dances and stuff. It's like, I don't know what the hell I just did right there. Actually, there was an event I went to and they had everyone do TikTok dances for about two minutes. Cringe. It was so awkward because I'm not on the app and I was just standing there. Cringe AF. That's all. Yeah. It's just, for, to me, it's just another rabbit hole app. It's something for you to swipe endlessly to ignore the fact that your life shit. So... <laughs> I think that's also, we could find something else to replace it. We could find something else to swipe and swipe and swipe on all day. Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Kind of Twitter. Twitter is like heck, hella toxic. That's Facebook. the main reason people use it. Yeah. Use Facebook people. anymore. No one uses Facebook. <laughs> My space, like, no. Who uses that? Ew. You might as well have said Ubu. Ooh, I forgot about that. that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think this popularity is going to die out slowly. We'll find something else to engage with to keep us entertained. Talks honest, it's not that deep. I'm actually worried about the stars. Do you guys remember any of the Vine stars? I only remember Lele Pons because she's still making skin. I remember Hannah Stocking. She recently had a baby. Okay, I remember her too. Uh, King Batch, which he kind of fell off because, like, nobody, he's, on, really he's on some show on Quibi now. Quibi. Quibi. Yeah. yeah. Quibi's yeah. this video app. Yeah, I got it, actually. I actually got it. I was watching this show with an wow. actor named Dane DeHaan. It's like some stalker mm -hmm. type stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I enjoy that people have found some form of mediocre fame on there. I mean, get your coin. It's definitely interesting to see what we value. Addison Ray. Yeah, Addison Ray. You know, that's cool. I'm worried about... Um, Dancing to Take Hay and all that type of stuff. I'm just like... 21 yeah. Like, I'm honestly worried about people who quit school to do TikTok. That's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, to be real with you. I mean, the app hasn't been around long enough to quit something to do it anyway. Better get yeah. you out of McDonald's if you're doing that. Unless you feel like Addison Ray and kind of networking and doing with what you have, like in this time frame, you have to move fast. I think she's already jumped. Like, she lived in a TikTok house for a little while. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of those houses for like Fortnite and stuff. Yeah. It's been one of the fame, what I'll call them. Yeah, so th they definitely work to keep um, the people in their group popular or relevant and keep them engaged like on all the platforms so they're always making some form of income. It's, yeah. I guess, it's perfect to make a quick crash, but you have to know how to like save your money and invest and save. It's, I think, it's a viable living. Yeah. So, unless, of course, have no guidance at all, but I'm pretty sure like somebody you know, over time. Right, just um, go through the motions, but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. The show, hey, no, bye. All right, y'all. Thank y'all for watching 1025 <laughs> podcast. I'm Jordan, along with Ashanti and Kristen, and we'll see you next time. Peace. See you next time. Bye.